I mean, I just watch this thing and I'm always going, it's Hannah. I'm like, I'm screaming it like from <laughs> season three. I'm like, it's Hannah. What's wrong with you people? It's obviously fucking Hannah. And, um... <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. In this case, rewatch means we've seen the whole thing from the beginning to the end and back again. We spoil early, often, and always. Now, you are almost to the end, but please, please, please watch 409 in the finale before you listen to this. This is Beep, and you're about to hear Cece and I speak with some very important people about the episode one minute more. Welcome back. Um, We're so excited to have Brooke Williams, who plays our beloved Hannah, uh, Terry Metalis, showrunner and co-creator, and writer-producer Christopher Monfett to discuss uh, one minute more. (laughs) 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 Um, I think everybody knows why that just took a second to say. Um, Did you have any initial thoughts after rewatching? I mean, I always have thoughts because it's, uh, it's almost like a home movie. Um, you know, you remember all the things that was either going on on set or in prep, um, or a lot of posts. This one was a lot of posts for me. Uh, but I think Chris, you were on, uh, set for more of this than I think I was. And certainly Brooke, you were there for the most important parts. (laughs) I mean, my, my, this, I mean, every time I see this episode and, and it's one that I, you know, I think is among our best and, and, and I, I'm hugely proud of, I'm always just sort of mindful of what an absolute clusterfuck it was at, to make and wrestle into shape at every level. I mean, it was just, it was such an interesting episode because we all knew how important it was going to be. And we knew that it needed to work not just well, but like almost expertly and perfectly um, that literally from like the day we first started thinking about and Kristen and I first started talking about what, what, what should the shape of this episode be? What should the emotional pace of it be? How should it lay out? How should you turn the cards all the way through production, all the way through, you know, looking at the first cut of it and then sort of watching Terry. And I think it was Drew, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, wrestle it into shape. The, the amount of effort that went into the end results on this one was massive and, and not always in a, in a fun breezy way. Um, it pushed back a lot and it was a challenge and, one that I think we ultimately kind of conquered well. Yeah. What was most challenging about it? Everything. Oh, everything. Everything. <laughs> um, everything. I think so. Um, in no particular order, uh, it was the last one to to be shot before the finale. So most of the important personnel on the show were concentrating on this two hour finale we were going to do, which I was directing and I was in prep for. So it had kind of the least amount of uh, resources and, you know, in the finale was just so was also a a Herculean effort as well and had many, many minds looking at it and making sure we were buttoning up every, you know, every little thing with, uh, you know, emotional dialogue to how are we going to do a raid on Titan? So you had all, everybody was working crazy hours and, you know, just the emotion of this is Brooke's last episode. 
and the biggest and one of the biggest payoffs of mythology, which I was pause. I mean, I just watched this thing and I'm always going, it's Hannah. I'm like, I'm screaming it like from <laughs> season three. I'm like, it's Hannah. What's wrong with you people? It's obviously fucking Hannah. And um, it's funny. One of my best friends from, from high school just uh, finally sat down to watch it all. Also, he didn't see it coming. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I, so, uh, and you know, so we tried, I also didn't mind if you did see it coming as long as it was satisfying. Um, but it, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of, a really a lot of work, um, to hide the Marion Woods thing. And I mean, it is schmuck baby and like in the best ways, I'll get into the post of it all uh, later, but it, this, <laughs> it, this one, Chris, it, it, it was once we shot it, um, then we went and shot the finale, um, which was gigantic. And then we all. We went to Comic-Con. We all got on a plane, went to Comic-Con, and then we went to Prague for another uh, month. So I didn't even see the cut of this like until three months after it shot, and we had wrapped, and everything was bulldozed. And I was, I mean, Chris will tell you, I mean, I was, <laughs> I, was I, I, thought we, I thought we ruined the show um, in the first cut, which is fine. This it's typically happens, and, and uh, as Drew, I think Drew's going to come on for the finale. You know, it's, it's just... That's that's what happens. Rarely is does a first cut just is absolutely perfect and magical. It only happened really once for us, and that was uh, two twelve. Um, Blood washed away was kind of just like a perfect cut where I was like, oh my god, I was just sitting back and enjoying it, and I didn't have to do anything. This one was much harder just because of the emotional stakes. Um, I will say the one thing that always worked was. Um, Hannah's letter at the end, uh, which I think Chris played a big part uh, in writing. Uh, and that montage always worked, um, which was so I knew we had like a beacon of light. Like we could, if we could get to um, that montage, it was, you know, perfectly, sh- everything was, 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 was really well done about it from Brooke's final performance to the direction to the words and the, um, even the temp score was like per- so set up for Steven to to knock it out of the park. So if we could get to that, but all the other stuff, the puzzle, I mean, the puzzle pieces also had to come together too. So it wasn't just a surprise that Anna is Cole's mom. It's also a surprise that Cole is the demon, the mm-hmm. demon, and that has to land really hard or else the finale doesn't work. And that's another thing where you got to be like, I'm going, it's Cole. It's obviously cold. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I'll stop rambling and because uh, I think everybody really wants to hear from Brooke about this. But it, it was this is really hard. I still look at it and go, we should have picked up an extra shot here or there. Um, there's there's one shot that, that we complete layers. Uh, you really want to get behind the scenes. There's there's a shot of Brooke in the airport that's not really Brooke in the airport. It's like Brooke we cut her out of another scene and put her into a background just to set up a presence. So, cause originally she just sort of came out of nowhere and took the bullet for Cole. So we kind of had to set up that she was there. So we had to put that together. You know, these are all the things that, by the way, every Marvel movie, every star Wars movie is doing all these things too, but yeah, that's it. That's all I have what order did you guys film this in? I know you said before the finale, but you had season four kind of out of order in general. Do you know where this landed between? Yeah, it landed right before the finale. The only the one, the only thing we did 
was uh, we shot it all in order, but all the scenes that were in Prague we, we held. So that would be Jennifer Goins uh, in her spy stuff, uh, the stuff with, um, you know, Ferris, uh, all that stuff. And then we did the Nazis and then we did the, the Middle Ages. So that was, there was quite a bit still to do. It was like a month, five weeks of shooting in Prague left to do. That was pretty serious. But emotionally, this was going to be goodbye to our Toronto crew and our sets and basically our home for the last four years. So it was like a double. It was not healthy. It's not healthy. To, so we were like, we said goodbye to everybody. And then we wrapped the show. Then we did Comic-Con. So you have this other euphoria. It's like, yay, we're still a thing. And then you go to Prague and it was just this, you know, downward spiral of emotions <laughs> for, I, for five weeks. I, I remember getting caught up in the whirlwind of that because I, I have this distinct memory of, you know, you're going, 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 and you're writing and you're turning the pages and you're running the set to produce this scene for this episode, blah, blah, blah. And then it finally got to, I guess, what wasn't our last day, but it was my last day. It was the last day that I was going to be there. I was so hyped up and so in, you know, just in the speed of it all. Um, that I remember getting on the, the the transpo van to go to go back to the hotel, uh, and someone actually had to say out loud because I was so tired and so amped up. You're never going to see this place again, huh? And I had completely sort of, as it faded into the background, missed my opportunity to say goodbye to that set and those people because I just assumed that I was going to be there the next day because it, be- it had become such a part of my life. So this episode, in a lot of ways, feels like a you know, obviously a goodbye to Hannah and a setup for the finale. But um, for me, it kind of felt the same way as well. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear how, you know, really sounds like you all were wrestling with a lot of different things, both, you know, emotional and in production and post-production. And uh, was it, hopefully it was gratifying when you sort of absorbed the audience reaction because people you can still like even for people who have watched it two years ago just absolutely devastated (laughs) um and but but it's also beloved so i mean people even say sort of like the title of the episode of this kind of reverence and so what i think is so interesting is that at, at terry as you were saying but there's three mythology huge questions that you answer because it's not only that Cole's the demon, it's not only that Hannah's his mom, but it's that they started the plague, which is just and like, they started the plague. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, which well, was we had built the season just as I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but originally at the end of season three, Ethan told Cassie that 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 he warned her. He said, "I need you right before he gave her the watch before she ran out of Titan." He said to her, and we shot it. He said, I need you to know that in every timeline I've ever seen in my head, it was you who started the plague. And she was like, bombshell, all fucked up. And the problem was we had a a situation where going into season four, everybody started to have too many secrets. And that was the biggest. And it kind of like (laughs) broke. It was like, it was not easy to have Cassie know that and not tell anybody that, specifically not Cole. Because once you know that, you start, you'd be like, well, let's go back and figure out why we would do, like, it's just too big a clue. So we just cut it from the scene and just, and, and, but it was something we had always known. I think in season one, it was one of the original ideas was they have to start this 
so that time travel can be invented because that's both the tool and the method of destruction and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for as busy an episode as this is, it also takes so many character beats um, and lets us really sit with some, you know, there's a lot emotionally to process in this episode. And Brooke, I mean, the, the biggest, obviously, with Hannah. Um, and one of the things I was thinking about the last time you were on, we talked about how in Daughters, you had to play sort of Hannah as sort of a, in this fish out of water story. And in this episode, you're playing the same character, but over different you know, basically the course of nine years and significant uh, events in her life, which are a mystery to the audience until the end. So how did you approach sort of how you're going to manifest those differences in your performance? Um, I think, you know, there's such a big change for Hannah because her purpose is so clear uh, now and it wasn't before. And so even though She's had what I consider to be a really sad and heartbreaking time for something. And I think she's such a purpose-driven human and she will sacrifice for the greater good. She's always been that way and now she knows what that means. Um, and, you know, I don't have any kids and so, like, I am I was really having to use my imagination um, to kind of create what that would be like to, to have to make that sacrifice that she has to make and the heartbreak that that would be and you know I think if you don't have a child it's very hard to imagine and so I I really did a lot of kind of creating for myself around that um and I think what I what I wanted to do with her in this episode uh is to create a more settled version of her that that shifted a calmness even in all the chaos she knows what she's connected to now and, and her reason um, and her ultimate reason and it's all been for something and I I know for myself like when I feel heartbroken I, I the same thing always happens I had it happen really badly one time where I completely lost my voice like my voice just went for about three weeks um, and so I was thinking about her and I was thinking about what the the weight of that grief would do and I just wanted to have a slight change in her voice. And I don't even know really if it translates, but that was what was in my head, that, that the weight of this has been in her throat. Um, and, yeah, you see her and daughters, and it's this kind of erratic, scattered energy. And, you know, she's between these worlds. But I think she's, by this episode, she's found her place, and, and uh, she's really sitting in it even though it's such an uncomfortable sad thing to see from the outside mm. i think you do hear it i think you do hear it in your voice from the second you're in the hotel room and then we added uh, you know some gray which on on brooke it's just so youthful so the gray <laughs> is just such an impact you're like, I'm like wow i've never ever thought she'd have a gray um and so it uh, yeah, it, it it all it all worked really well. I mean, performance wise, it, it could not have gone better. I think you fall in love with Hannah um, a lot in this season. I mean, I think you always thought she was really cool in previous seasons, and you're like, oh, you're really interested. But I think it's really this season as it goes on that you really like. We we, we I think we did that right. Like just at the moment 
that you you love her the most, you find out she has the most impact on the, on the mythology. Um, and the other thing is, Brooke, with that voice, like she just has a, that her hand of voice. You know, we we joked the last time we were on. It it really is this this ethereal. Like you it, you really want to listen. Um, so when that letter comes and it's all sort of spelled out, um, it just adds to the execution of that. And there was a lot of doubt. I mean, there was there were fierce arguments in the writers' room about this idea that you could show her and Matthew Cole and there would be chemistry. And I, and I was like, I, why, I, I think that, that Brooke can have chemistry with anyone. I mean, she has those eyes and you, 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 I think she's going to have to give you that performance that believes that she's in love and that's going to like, it's going to work. Um, but there that's were so interesting. Yeah. Oh, you know, it was, yeah. Sorry, no, 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 no. Sorry. I, and so, we no, it's it's fine. You can drop it. And so there, I, I I'm not gonna. I won't say who, but it it was it was <laughs> doubt. I think all the way until it aired from that from those parties. Uh, and then there was also like I remember nailing the script was also as Chris was talking about. I mean, Chris, I like I remember the moment we came up with the very last scene. Because the, the script basically was over. The story was basically over with Hannah tells the story. And then they're like, you're the demon. Like, that's it, Cole. You're the demon. Let's go into the finale. But what bummed me out about it was we never actually got to have a moment with the Jones family, so with, with the Cole family. So, like, we never had Cole, Hannah, and Jones. And uh, I remember I was like, well, what if we just did one last scene where they go to her at the Emerson. I mean, it's just like this little tiny set corner of the set by a fireplace and we give them their moment, and it's short and they can just be together. And then just as you're soaking up the, the warmth of that family outside of the red storms begin and they're like, they just have like just one minute more, which sort of like, I remember that that moment was also a late, like yeah. really late addition to the script. And, and so Anyway, one more story. I'm so sorry. So, uh, <laughs> this is also just tooted, uh, you know, tooting our own horn. So we finished the script, and I was like, "Fuck, we did it!" Like, I, I, I believe that the script was was going to work, which is like Chris said, it was like just a giant effort. And I get this call from the network from Sci-Fi, and they're like, "We think it's really cool that Hannah is is mom, but we just don't think it's going to land." In, as right now, as you have it, I'm like, what, what, what do you, what do you mean? And at that point, uh, I, for um, writers, when you, when we all were very collaborative, so it would be me and Chris and Sean and, and Kristen and Oliver and all and, and everyone involved and in the actors as well. You know, we're doing read throughs. You're really working out hard. So then to get a call from executive, like, well, I, just don't, I didn't really feel anything. You just want to go insane. You want to go crazy. <laughs> Because you've worked so hard, but you have to listen to it because they're your partners. And it was the one moment where I remember I was I was at the the set where um, it was like one of the sets for Titan, and I was just I just stopped them mid sentence and I said, "This is going to work. Leave me alone. I promise you, you will feel something when this comes down." And they kind of didn't want to let me off the phone, and I was just like, I, I I was like at the end of my rope on that, and I was like, no. It's going to work. I will die trying to make this work. And then there was post. <laughs> <laughs>
the title to the episode before uh, before this? Before you guys added that last moment? Oh, was there? I don't know, Chris. There must have been uh, a different title. No, there actually there there. I don't think there was because uh, we had handed in the script to you, and that's when you and I had started talking. And we decided we needed that last scene, and I actually remember I, for whatever reason, have this vivid memory of exactly where I was sitting in the in the all writers' office in Toronto. Um, when I gave you that last scene and we started talking about it and you were like, what the, what should we call this thing? And, and for whatever reason, I think I, I, you and I looked at each other at the same time and we're kind of like one minute more is the last one of the thing. Yeah. Title yeah. Changes, yeah. We were, we were at, we were on set. We were on the other soundstage with the, where the Emerson was in that little room. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think maybe, I think at once it was like how Hannah got her groove back. what i think is so um one of the things that when you go back and and rewatch it the title of the episode and sort of that moment when cole says that to you know the two women he'll later call his two mothers um is that on the one hand it's something that i feel like we all say offhand all the time right? Like, give me one more minute, like one more minute. Like, I feel like my kids say that to me constantly, right? Or I'm saying that to them. That's the thing that's so common. And yet you have this moment where they, you know, as you said, they actually have a moment together where they all know what they mean to one another. And yet they have this foresight to know that it's fleeting and that what that moment means. And it, it, on rewatch, it ties so beautifully to sort of that final message of the show about, trying to live in the now. Um, and so it's kind of remarkable hearing about how that developed because on rewatch thematically, it's just, it's, it's really beautiful. That's, that's partially why the line is phrased that way. Um, and, and we had actually had conversations about this, which is that, you know, one more minute, like you say, is weirdly a phrase that seems to take for granted that there are minutes more to have, you know, like just give me one more minute. You know, it's, we're not in a rush you know, I'll be right there. Whereas yeah. one minute mm-hmm. more always felt like a longing and a wish. If only I had one yeah, minute exactly. more, what, what could I have done with that? Um, right. So that's why the more uh, sort of those two words end up transposed in the title, um, because it's really an, an expression for and a wish for more time that you just don't have. But not on yeah, that's what, that was the thing. It's so funny is the word order. It, the episode title is incorrect on Hulu and it's one yeah. more minute. <laughs> I and I felt that. this. I felt this like rage, and my husband's like, <laughs> "It's like one. It's like one word order." I'm like, you? "No, but that's not what it means." Like, How about the fact I mean. that the the show picture, the picture uh, they show when you click on it, is Olivia getting into the witness suit? <laughs> uh, it's infuriating. There's so many spoilers on their screen caps. Uh, I know. Uh. <laughs> so I know I, th- this is a, we're jumping around a little bit, but Brooke, I just want to pick up. It sounded like you were a little bit surprised that the people thought that this Matthew Cole and Hannah romance wouldn't hit. Um, so did you have sort of any thoughts just sort of as you read it and as all you were as you were filming that? I mean, it's interesting because a lot of it has to be conveyed without dialogue. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising to me because I'm curious about from what perspective. Because I, I don't know. It's like you know, I'm an actress and I'm I'm living this life of this woman, and and I, I, I'm from New Zealand. Like I'm a wild creature myself. I'm very of the earth. Like I don't wear <laughs> shoes very often. I'm very like Hannah is. 
I mean, obviously she's so radically different from me, but there's elements of her that feel so close to me. Uh, and Patrick is such a cool actor and person and it was very easy for me to have chemistry with him. I think it's just a casting thing. I think I talked about it last time when we were discussing daughters. Like I just feel like everyone was so beautifully picked to kind of match each other like puzzle pieces. And and so, yeah, I'm curious about like from what perspective they thought it wouldn't work. Like, I think it's it a little, a, it was age. I think, you know, he's... he's... But I'm not young. Like, I'm not <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, I guess the perception of Hannah is that she is that. I mean, she's probably younger than I am. She comes across because she's been sort of the young female. I don't know. Well, even with everything she's been through, there's just like such an innocence (laughs) to her somehow. Right. Yeah. 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 There's also the the perspective of of how much real estate do you have to to write a scene or sequence of scenes that make that, that make that emotional connection. You, I mean, normally if, if, if you were just telling the story, you, you could take a season of full episodes to get these characters to a place where the audience believes that they love each other and have that bond. And so the challenge with this was really, you know, when we were looking at it as a script was like, well, do we need to play full scenes? Is this a montage? If it's a montage, is it a montage with voiceover? Like, what is the best medium through which to evolve their relationship over this course of, let's say, you know, 10 or 15, I mean, right, less than that, probably 10 minutes. What, um, minutes? With, with you know, the I two mean, of them? With probably Matthew just like four or five Hannah, minutes, right? Less than that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like they meet, they meet him, he comes out and then you cut away and yeah. then she gives you a two minute letter and you have to fall in love. And and right. so, I, again, into the, to that, Chris, just because I think, you know, Chris and I are on a show right now where um, often like you will pitch something like that, that, um, and I, I, I think what we were very good about on 12 monkeys was utilizing that time and proving, you know, Sean was also a master at this as well, which is you can tell a tremendous amount of story in a minute. Now you can get two people to fall in love and believe it if you do it right. So, you know, sometimes we'll hear, Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that in like three minutes. And I'm like, yeah, you fucking can. I, I can show you how to do it. It's absolutely possible. It just requires work. And I, and I think that that is um, a, like a testament to what you're saying, Chris, is that yeah. it's, 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 it's not, not hard, but it can totally work. Yeah. Particularly when you're using, if like, if you were to have laid this out over the course of, let's say three episodes where you have scenes and dialogue between Matthew and Hannah and we as the audience have to glean what are they feeling from you know looks or things that they're saying but when you use a voiceover and it has this perspective of Hannah looking back at what attracted to her to this man how he reminded her of Cole what was good about him um, and what they had in common then that it, you know, elegantly cuts through uh, as opposed to if the audience were having to try and figure out what they're feeling for one another over the course of many scenes. So we're in Hannah's point of view, but that point of view is also looking back on that time with someone that she loved. So I think that's one of the reasons also why, it, at least for me, I, I believed it, that it that it works right. so well. I feel like so much of the work is done in setting up the, the mythology to 
like we're waiting for that moment, right? We want to know who this person is, who's the mother is. And I mean, that's such a, a present question all the time. And we've seen Matthew kind of threaded through. And, um, and so we're waiting for that puzzle piece. And I think a lot of the work, the emotional work has been done from the beginning. And so this payoff is just like clicking something into place. And I think, you know, it's interesting because Hannah up until this point doesn't have a ton of screen time, um, which sounds like such a jerky actress thing to say, but I don't mean it like that. I just think it's <laughs> really cool how the episode was able to, la- to land this emotional payoff. And, and, and I do think a lot of that is because of the charting of the mythology and the emotional work that had already been set up right from the very beginning. It's already in our DNA with this show. When we're watching it, it's like you can't separate it because um, it's so present. It's in the blood of the show. Uh, and so, like, I think I talked about this during Daughters a little bit, but as an actress, that's a gift because you don't have that work's been done for you. And, and I think that's so clever and something I love about this show. And I think that's also part of the reason why people weren't clicking on to the fact that it's Hannah because they hadn't seen her as much and it's, it's such, like, to me, an unconventional way of, you know, that a character who y- you know and you love because you, she's so in the mythology is suddenly this big puzzle piece. And, you know, everyone thought it was, like, a lot of people thought it was Jennifer, and I guess that's because they're so used to seeing her. And so I think it was really clever that Hannah was kind of threaded through um, and it wasn't overblown in any way. And, and I think that's part of the reason why people didn't click on to it because it's a subtlety. Especially yeah. because she already had such a big part in the mythology. You know, it seemed yeah. like her part yeah. have, had kind of been served by being the daughter that Jones was risking the world for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say quickly that the other fun thing about that sequence, and, and Terry, I, I don't remember when we decided to do this because it's clearly planted, you know, in, in a lot of these earlier episodes. Um, another fun thing just about that, that, that sequence was you get to pay off the Jones family monologue uh, or the Jones family motto. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and you get to see how that comes full circle. Um, Oh, right. right, Yeah. That started with Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that she, she says the thing her father always said to him and that's what he says to, you know, his son and like, and we decided that early on, but I, I do feel like having doing that and that moment connects Hannah to Cole, even though they're not in the same scene. And technically Cole doesn't even really exist yet or hasn't been born, but it's just the tying together of these two families, um, I think helps advance and accelerate that emotional connection um, in that scene as well. In addition to the performance and the letter and all of that. Yeah. And also just, it's something that's so fundamental to Cole, like the character, right? He's never going to give up. So the idea that not only, you know, as we'll get to you guys heartbreakingly include that Hannah has been there for many moments in his life where he didn't realize it, but the idea that this core principle that that goes to like the center of who he is came from her through his father. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it is. It's really it's it is really beautiful. Um, one of uh, I think one of the other really interesting pieces t- in this montage um, is you know Hannah sees the letter, uh, knows that he's Matthew Cole, and then she talks about this idea of 
for the first time in her life, it felt like something was fated, that this felt like fate. And again, that's something that a lot of us in everyday life, when we talk about um, important moments in our lives or important people in our lives, we, we, we kind of toss that around a lot like it was fate. But in this case, because of the craziness of time travel, she already can well suspect what the result of becoming romantically involved with Matthew Cole is going to be. And then it's this, uh, like so many things in this show, it's this very strange conundrum that you have sort of in a time travel show where something is faded because you know it's going to happen and yet it's still a choice in that moment, right? When she decides Mm. to kiss him back. So it's kind of, it's just a very interesting Hannah has agency in that moment, and yet she also has this foresight that, you know, it's likely going to result in Cole. Um, If we could jump back um, just to pick up a little bit on sort of the rest of Hannah's story, if we could go back to that scene with Cole and Cassie back at the Emerson Hotel, they first find her. One of the things on, you're so surprised to see here on first watch, but when you go back and rewatch it, there's this layer of sort of this tragic layer to that scene because am I thinking about this that the right way? Hannah has already sat down with yes. Cole, right? Yes. And right. And so she knows what she's going to do. She also knows that they've had this moment where they all know what they mean to one another. And yet she has to sit there and sort of absorb. You know, Cole, I think, you know, understandably, he sounds a little bitter. Like he's hearing about his mother mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, throwing back the scotch and like, yeah, well, she left me, right? Like she was never there for me. And his mother is right there and knowing that she's about to give up her life for him. And that stillness, Brooke, you were talking about, it's just really, it, it, it's striking how much she absorbs and doesn't react and doesn't say what I'm sure she would like to say in that moment because she can't because of causality and all of it. I didn't know if you had any sort of thoughts about you have, there's a lot of layers to play there that don't reveal themselves until after we've seen the end of the episode. Yeah. I I can't even imagine how painful that would be. <laughs> like, but I think the thing about Hannah is that she makes peace. I think, you know, that's still like, that would be so hard to hear your child saying both things and to know. I think no matter how much you've prepared yourself for it, and it would be incredibly painful. Um, but I do think she's found it a certain type of peace. That's my perspective anyway. Mm. Yeah, to know in that scene and to know in that moment um, that despite all of the frustration that Cole is communicating and and feeling that he will ultimately, because she's had the scene already that we'll see at the end of the episode, that he will come to understand and know, and that this this won't end without there being a reconciliation between the two of them, one which has happened for Hannah at this point in the story, but has yet to happen for Cole. But I think the knowledge that Cole will get there, and they will have, and yet already have had this moment, Thank you, time travel. Um, <laughs> help helps her approach that moment, and and like like Brooke just said, have a sense of peace that this is hard for him now, but in a in a day and several hours, however long later, he will understand. Um, and so she's already weirdly had her goodbye with Cole, um, 
in a strange sense, even though she's about to have the final goodbye a few scenes later. Right. <laughs> Funny when we were shooting all those scenes because David, um, who was directing, he kept saying to me, hey, um, can you sometimes look at Amanda? Because you just like really fixed on Aaron. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, because I only want to look at Aaron because like, you know, I'm just soaking it all in. And, and he was like, cool. It's just like, sometimes I need you to look at <laughs> It's like, you know, we don't want it to be like creepy. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it would be so, um, such a crazy thing to see your friend going. I mean, not that, it, you know, just to know that this is it. Yeah. Anyway. And also she gave, <laughs> if you think about Hannah's perspective, she had a baby like eight, mm. nine years ago, has watched her Cole as a child from a distance, mm. has met with him as an adult, and now is seeing him as an adult again. It's, you know, these crazy time travel things that c- it can only happen in this kind of story. So there's a there's a, an additional kind of mind, like what would be going on in your head when you know that your son is a child over mm. here, but in front of you, he's an adult, <laughs> you know? How crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, so Terry and Chris, mm-hmm. it's so interesting that you guys added that final scene because with the Jones family, because one of sort of the layers of tragedy to the Jones family is that as just like Hannah was actually alive and with the daughters and Jones never knew. Hannah is there, and are we interpreting this correctly? When we were watching the season one episode Paradox, when Matthew Cole died and Cole found Ramsey at the home, that mm-hmm. Hannah was there and observing mm-hmm. it, which is such an unbelievable layer on, on rewatch, but also just thematically to think all this time he thought his mother had abandoned him and she was always there, right? But just was there for him in the only way that she could. Were, was there a different way that you were going to incorporate that? Or was that just sort of something that... It was in the script. We were going to see it. We were going to cut to her um, out there watching um, as as the snow starts to come down because there's flurries in that scene. And we just didn't have the time and the resources to go do that because we were already stretched so thin. But yeah, it was in the script, wasn't it, Chris? I remember yeah, like yeah. a we, moment we'd always, of... We'd always envisioned that we would have these little pops and flashes of her in those pivotal moments looking on, um, but just because of the, the time and the production realities, we were never able to do them. Also, and there's like a creep element too. Like, yeah. Like, there's always like, like, like there's this peeping Tom always like hanging out and it's Hannah in the shadows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want to protect Hannah too. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, we, we, I, I remember vividly, I could, I can dig up the script. I'm pretty sure that there were pops of her throughout the series uh, in the background. Right. And it's particularly crazy because that's the episode where Jones decides to go through with her pregnancy and Hannah's standing off to the side when her mother's making (laughs) that decision. Ah, it makes your head hurt. Um, So one of the other sort of devastating gut punches, and and I think it is really important for where you are taking Cassie in the finale, is that you put the character of Cassie in the position of she's a doctor who is supposed to do no harm. And now you're asking that character to drop 
the calavirus on the world. So just wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about sort of your thinking and putting the character in that position and sort of kind of then what flowed from that and focusing in the episode. Well, I mean, it's, you're just supporting that last moment on the balcony. You know, you're, you're, you're putting Cassie through the ringer. You're like, that's the worst thing she could do. Um, is, is be the one for years, the thing that she's tried to stop and, and will try to continue to stop as she, you know, continues her loop is her, that she did it, that she was the one who dropped the vial, um, and breaking her. And then she does that and then comes home to find out, yeah, not only did you do that, we're going to have to completely erase the man you love. And, and we're like, it's, you wanted to earn the moment of doubt on that balcony when it's like, okay, we're free and clear, turn the machine off, no red forest. That if you hadn't earned Cassie's journey to that point, you would just hate her. You'd be like, turn it the fuck off. What the fuck are you doing? You know, you'd be yelling at the screen, which mm-hmm. was such a danger um, at that moment in the finale. What you wanted to get that when you got to that, that moment, you wanted to feel, oh, of course she's going to have, oh, oh, of course. Uh, why didn't I see that coming? She's not going to want to turn it off. Um, so that was, I think, structurally, from a character perspective, what we were building towards. Chris, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think, you know, I, and weirdly, I think that we had built these little moments in consciously or, or unconsciously. You know, I, I look back at like uh, 402, right? You know, where she she is listening to the version of herself who says that, you know, Cassie, sometimes a loop is just a second chance. And that that weirdly is a Cassie, a version of herself that is trying to convince her that the thing that she knows she's going to have to do the hardest thing in the world, drop that vial and, and do the harm is will ultimately be the foundation of their second chance to, to earn their victory. Um, you know, so that like whether she's known it or not, she's been struggling with these questions throughout the entire season. And then she's faced with it here. And as she's watching this incredible moment of grief play out between Cole and Hannah begins to realize that I have to, I have to make this, I have to give this moment, this tragedy, a purpose um, and, and see it through so that it didn't happen for nothing. And then just sort of out of all of her, all of her sadness and pain, dropping that vial almost isn't so much choice as a resignation to this is what has to happen. And I hope that it happening produces the result that I want it to have. But it's it's a dice roll. It's a gamble. It's just one made, I think, in sort of utter, at that moment, utter despair. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel like as you watch it, just because the way the camera spins around and the score, I, I feel like you're just holding your breath the whole time. And yet, you know what's coming, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, it's really, it's just... Um, can you talk to us about, because one of the things that I think is so interesting in that scene leading up to it is, you know, the pallid man has been such a creepy <laughs> looming figure for four seasons. And yet when he's talking to Cassie in that moment, the editing shows us, you flash back to who, when the pallid man lost his parents because of our heroes right? Um, because of Agent Gale and because of Cassie. And it, it flips sort of the point of view when he's talking about loss 
I, I at least have this like moment of empathy for the pallid man, which is a very strange place to be um, <laughs> as a viewer. But I, it's so interesting that you give them sort of that moment that they almost understand one another because of their mutual loss, even though that loss has been really at the hands of each other, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it had, you know, we had already killed him. So you're in his timeline, he's eventually going to be killed by Olivia. So, and it's, and it's his last moment, you know, it's the last time you're going to see the pallid man. And it just felt like, again, all also in service of Cassie, which is, you know, what pallid man's father was saying to her was, was dug in. I mean, it's the words you hear right before he appears was that this is really having a tremendous impact on Cassie's decision uh about where where she's gonna go in Titan. Yeah. And the other the other thing I like about that scene, there were there was versions there were versions of this script where I think Pallid Man spoke a lot more and I think we absolutely yeah. made the right decision to to make this as as sort of brief and to the point as possible. But there is something I like about the suggestion here that that Pallid Man shares Cassie's frustration at at sort of being subject to the whims of 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 time right like he that that when he says you know you may yet still win if you choose to i always thought that line and the one thing i it's a little bit of like an agent of chaos right like he's he is in some ways saying you know this is time has fucked with me and my associations and my obligations may have put me on this particular side but i don't really care who wins i'm very curious to see you know, um, that there is something oddly encouraging about him in that moment that allows you access to that empathy that you're talking about. That That is, oh, yeah, this has this has taken a toll on him uh, in deeply personal ways as well. Um, so I think it just it just gives him this added layer of depth as he walks off into the airport that I always I always thought was really cool. Mm. Yeah, it is a great farewell. The airport scene, am I right in thinking in some ways it's an homage to the film 12 Monkeys, which sort of has yeah. its big conclusion at airport? Yeah, sure. Okay. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, and it, is that why you guys chose to sort of have this big? I mean, obviously, it makes sense sort of if you wanted to spread a virus to drop it in an airport. Um, but I think it's so interesting the, what you guys are playing with because the film 12 Monkeys sort of suggests that you can't change anything. Um, yeah. whereas your story, it's a very different kind of time travel story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was always intentional. Yeah, it's exactly that. And again, it was the thing, I think when, um, people saw the pilot, you know, um, if you were a hardcore fan of the movie, they're like, they didn't, they don't get it. They don't get it. the whole point of the movie was that you can't change time. I'm like, I got it. Yes. I love the movie too. It's four seasons of television, you know, four seasons of television without changing time. I don't I don't know if that's the best choice. So, yeah. I also think just for us, kind of as we were looking at the end and we were walking out the door, you know, we, we had come so far from that pilot that was an adaptation of that movie, you know, um, that we've come so far away from the notions and ideas presented in the film. I mean, I think you can say that season one of this show is, is, is a fair adaptation of, of the original film and deals with a lot of the same themes and textures and, you know, the, 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 the pandemic and the espionage and the, can they change this and all of that. But by the time you get to 
two and three and four, you know, we've we've become, I think, such our own beasts that it felt appropriate and and nice to, as we raced into our finale, give that sort of nod back to the thing that that allowed us all to to be doing this for, you know, as long as we did it for for four years, four or five years. And um, we just wanted to, to, to tip our hat to that one more time. Yeah. I mean, but as a viewer, you come away with a very different, um, just thematically, the message <laughs> that you carry away from the film is yes. like, well, I guess nothing I do, it, nothing matters, you know, whereas <laughs> your, <laughs> your show sort of thematically, it's a lot more positive, right? It's if people don't give up, they, maybe they can make a difference, right? So. Right. Yeah. Um, one listener had a really great observation, and maybe this is more um, a question for the director, but Brooke, you were um, that sort of final image that we have of Cole holding Hannah, who has sacrificed herself, not only for her son, but like for the greater good. It is a reverse of, you know, like the Pieta, right? Of like a mother holding mm-hmm. her son that sacrificed. Was that something that was just sort of happenstance or was that something you all talked about just sort of in staging that scene i think it's happenstance but it also just is innately in what it is you know she's the mother and she's been cradled by the son that she didn't get to raise i mean we didn't deliberately plan it out like this is going to be a visual image that speaks to another image but it's just by nature of those two characters being together in that moment it just is what it is yeah holding her in a way that she she wished she could have them for him like you know yeah been there for him so um it, yeah it wasn't super uh deliberate but also just within the fibers of what it is yeah that makes sense uh i saw that comment on on twitter a couple days ago or weeks ago or however long it was yeah and and part of me wanted to just be like Oh yeah, no, of course that was that was completely intentional. Um, yeah, but you're it, absolutely it never, referencing Michelangelo. It, <laughs> it, it, it it never was, but it actually did make me mindful of of how, in a weird way, how the fact that that you can see that similarity and then that and that the similarity was unintentional. Actually, I actually think makes me think about the Pieta and and the the universality of what that says, you know, the sacrifice that, that parents will make for children and the children, the debt, the children owe to their parents, um, that, that we did it even unconsciously or, or that, that, that idea of what that piece of art symbolizes is just a universal idea is actually quite beautiful and quite moving. And so, you know, it certainly wasn't planned, but I'm happy to be happy for the comparison. Yeah. It even ties back image, like just, imagery wise to, to the end of paradox um right. when cult paradoxes himself so yeah that all it, you know it, it might just it's all just baked into like our consciousness right but yeah um i i did i didn't want to forget to ask um cole and terry one of the really fun things about this episode is that you bring us back to the night room um <laughs> <laughs> although it's very um which was such a phenomenal episode in season one. And there's some, if you go back, I actually went back and watched sort of some of those night room scenes. And it's actually pretty hilarious the way, you know, in the first episode in season one, Cole is like, as Cassie calls him, Johnny Nightroom, just like, you know, <laughs> heading in there. But in this one, he's actually sitting and being like, this seems too easy. And you're like, wow, Cole's really had some character growth in terms of how he goes in. But um, did you have sort of any thoughts about bringing the story back to sort of that 
you know, back to Markridge, back to the night room, and that there was still a vial left there? Well, it's not it's not the exact same night room because by then it's destroyed. Mm-hmm. I believe it's a it's a secondary location, right? It's not the mm-hmm. same night room. I think we we had debated back and forth about whether it should be the original night room and whether we could. Oh no, they're in the they're in the original for yeah they're in the facility. They're not in the night room. They're in the Markridge facility from the pilot. Yeah, um, where they where they find in cold storage the uh, the vials. Yeah, but they're not in the actual night room now. And I don't think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Terry. I don't think that was necessarily. We had had that thought. I think it was just the production realities of recreating the night room because we had, we had talked about whether they should be moving through those same corridors and whether you should see, you know, remnants of that episode. And I, and I think this, this just felt more right for, for this. Well, it also made it, it, it what we you could didn't do, want right? to, right. Well, you also didn't want to nullify the night room episode. You still wanted, right. I mean, that was a success. They did burn the thing. So you didn't want to be like, oh, they didn't do it right. Uh, right. So it was just it was another Marker's facility, but it what the the spirit of going back into season one we were very very conscious of and and trying to make that feel like um, a little bit of a season one Cole and Cassie like moving you know on on the hunt for the plague feeling again. Um, yeah, boy, that was a hard episode to cut. What a hard episode to post. Well, so t- <laughs> t- t- can you tell us a little bit more about the post of this episode? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, this is where, again, uh, the the, con- the contributions of Drew and, um, and Stephen Barton in this episode are like, they're as big as any other artist on this, on the show. Um, I mean, for Stephen, it's obvious. I mean, just listen to it. That is a, that's a, that score drives in the last act um, and hits that emotional punch and just does so much throughout throughout the whole thing. Um, that poor guy had to sit with me for, I mean, Chris will tell you, for hours and hours. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 now we need percussion. We need these things. And like, it's just outstanding what he was able to do and the sound he is able to produce on that show. As far as cutting it goes, I wasn't there so um you know i spent quite a quite a bit of time on on set for like little moments that were important you know um and i was not there for very much of this episode um which was hard because it was also it was brooks last episode and i wanted to be but i was prepping the finale and it was crazy we were driving all over toronto to figure it out so you know tonally um, and then Chris couldn't be there for all of it too, because Chris was, 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 uh, assisting. I'd be like, Chris, ah, we've got some real heavy stuff coming up in the finale. I need help writing. And he's like, all right, let me, let me, let me dig in. Let's think about it. So the, uh, so you had Kristen on set, um, who, who is a fantastic executive producer, but tonally in my mind, this had to be kind of a very intense episode, very, very morose. And I, I remember I walked on set. So if you remember the episode well, Jennifer like Jennifer gets the wheelchair for Jones, right? Jones is really on her last legs and is dying, right? She's barely is she gonna make it to the finale? And Jennifer's like, I'm oh you know what? I'll be here, I will push you until the end. I will, you know, and it's this emotional moment where you're know, like, We're we're now just putting Jones in a wheelchair. <laughs> I came onto set 
And in the scene where they go to to finally crack the code, to crack the uh, primary code, Emily Hampshire speeds in Jones like a race car. <laughs> on, 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 going, and then lands, and then Jones goes, All right, we need to find the end. And I'm like, Whoa, um, no, I didn't, I don't think now's the time for a big Jennifer silly joke right now. And I'm everyone on set fucking hated me because they all thought it was really, really funny. <laughs> But all I was seeing in the cut was this moment that you just was like so beautiful, and then it was just completely tanked by silliness. And so that was the kind of thing where you know you have a thing in your head and a tone, and that you're trying to protect. But you you have to realize not everybody knows that. Not every, not everybody knows what you hope the final product is going to be. And so um, and just because it was so am- ambitious, when that first cut came in, it was long. Uh, you didn't feel the connection. You, you didn't really, in my opinion, feel like Marion Woods. That that uh, um, Emma really was it. Like I, I was just still doubting it. So we we went in and um, I was like, Drew, we got to get really psychological here. We got to build connections that don't exist. Like we have to cut from Emma's face to Cole's face. Like and just subconsciously hit the audience with, "That's mom. That's mom. That's mom." So that by the time you turn the card at the end, it really is a surprise. Um, and then just the pace. And then, you know, sometimes you're not there for choreography. And like in, in some of the pivotal scenes, um, scenes that are very angsty, like um, um, Hannah talking to Cole uh, and telling him this story, but not telling him the truth. And he's finally hearing about his mom. Well, I wasn't there, but I think... Um, there was a choice that they that Cole would just be sitting on the couch drinking a scotch, and it that felt like the least angsty. Like that, that that's not really what I would be doing if I was like you know <laughs> about to find out the truth about my mom. I think I'm pacing. I think I'm all fucked up. So there was just creative differences that we had to like wade through. Then the fact to build the reveal. Um, you know, that you felt like you were did to make sure the episode had drive at the end, that you were building towards this big answer. You were finally going to crack what this code meant um, at this exact moment that Hannah reveals herself and kills herself. It's just, it's, that's hard to do. There's literally two things happening in that moment is Cole is the gin, Hannah is mom, two bombshells, not one. And that's, they don't, you're not really supposed to do that. I can't think of, you know, Darth Vader is your father. That's it. That's pretty much like that's big enough. <laughs> you don't need to be like, and Luke is the pro- is going to destroy the universe. You know, that's you don't need that one too. Um, so you know, I think we lucked out. I think we managed to get it to work, but we were lucky because it was way too ambitious an episode. Terry, whose sorry, whose decision was it? Because there, there's I mean, one of my favorite post editing grace notes of the entire season and series is in this episode. Um, where, cause I, when I had written it, I just, I never thought to put it into the script to do it. And you guys did it. Um, that, the I told you, if you gave me yellow, I'd paint you the world. Oh, and then cut to, back to it? Cutting to the oh, season I mean, one. That was me. That was me. That was you? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you wanted, if you knew the line, um, it was really cool. But if you saw the line, then you were right. a genius. <laughs> and, uh, I just, uh, wanted to feel like we were geniuses. 
Well, also, all of those season one, there's a lot of cutting back, right? We see Jennifer from the second episode. We see the pallid man sort of cackling crazily in the night room, right? Mm -hmm. So all of that also, I at least when I'm watching it, you know, that third gut punch that it was them, you know, this dilemma that was driving the whole thing of how are we going to save the 7 billion people? And it takes you back to when as a viewer, you were really focused on that problem in season one, whereas there's been a lot of other things that you've been focused on as a viewer in seasons two, three, and four. It it, it also sort of underscores that, it, you know, it's temporary because it's going to be reset, but it is tragic that our heroes that were at great cost trying to prevent this plague were the ones that actually started it. Um, right. I would love to hear just sort of as we sort of close out one of the most, I think, beautiful pieces of writing in the whole show, and also the way Brooke reads it. Um, I don't know, Brooke, maybe you should be doing like audio tapes for books. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I would love to. Is, is Hannah's letter to Cole. And uh, Chris, did you write that? Or was it sort of like a team effort? I, we would just love to hear a little bit more about that. Lines like... Um, I was proud to be a daughter and the double meaning there um, as both Hannah's daughter, but also a member of the daughters were proudest to be your mother. I will tell you that as a mother pretty much made me sob uncontrollably. Um, so I would oh, just thank love you. to, <laughs> I, thank you, question mark. Um, <laughs> but I'd love to hear more about how you all put that together because it is just this beautiful writing. Yeah, I, I I worked very closely with um with with Kristen on this episode, um and uh one of the things that I uh, had worked on I think in oh god what was it enemy, um when Hannah has that that moment with Jones about you know um uh seeing your seeing your parents through to the end um and, and walking them the rest of the way, um you know that Kristen early on had said that 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 sort of that sentiment between those two characters was was the kind of tone and tenor that should should drive the letter. So while Kristen was off breaking the nuances of of how you know the 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 episode at large would play out, I I went off to start working on this working on this letter and the sequence and, and focusing a lot on those on that one piece of that one act um, and and just trying to get the moves of it right and and express and like terry said create a relationship in in that time not just between hannah and matthew cole but hannah and cole cole like as revealing herself as his as his mother and so um and that scene gave us a lot of gifts too that we weren't initially expecting to give ourselves i mean i, I remember um just sort of in in the course of writing, you don't think about these things a lot. You know, you just put your you put your fingers on the keyboard and you and you you just see what kind of flows out of you and what comes and, and hope that your subconscious has the wheel. And uh, Matthew Cole putting the engagement ring on the car um, gave us the gift. Uh, I think because I like ran into Terry's office and was like, "Oh my god, this needs to be the ring he gives to Cassie in the next episode." And it gave us that gift, and it obviously gave us the gift of Brooks' performance um, and. Uh, and and just going back to the sentiment of of what parents do to their do for their children. I mean, this is a this is a show about family in a lot of ways, um, in many many ways actually. And uh, so yeah, it, it 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 was one of the more it was one of those pieces of writing in the show, and it it happened a few times where you just 
trust that you, you trust that we've we've done what we needed to do and you, you sort of put your fingers on the laptop keyboard and then you just let something else take over and and be confident that you'll get to the place you want to get and that's that's what writing the scene the sequence felt like um but knowing that everybody and all the knowing that we'd done the work knowing that we had the right actors to do it knowing that we had steven and drew and post who would nail it knowing that we would have terry who would come in and sort of and, and sort of put all the brush strokes together in the right way um it, so it was it was really one of my favorite moments on the show um and and one of the moments i'm most proud of and then to be able to 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 contribute that to Kristen's episode um, which was already, I think, in itself, really terrific and breathless and well-paced and emotional and nuanced was a gift for me. So. And Brooke, I imagine you recorded that sort of in a vacuum and then um, and it's sort of the performance is just in your voice. And then you watch it all be put together sort of when the first time you watch this episode and you have your voiceover and then you have the pieces of your performance and sort of watching the culmination of Hannah's story um do you have any thoughts about sort of this this last piece of hannah's journey yeah i i recorded that um i think it was my very last thing i did on the show it was like in the hallway um just before i was about to wrap it was super late at night or early in the morning maybe and i think you know so much of the emotional work is in the text so i just wanted it to be very very simple but it's funny for me to talk about watching it because um, some actors really like watching themselves and some don't and I'm such a, a jerky egocentric <laughs> actress that like I find it very hard to separate myself from stuff when I watch it and I find it very hard to watch myself so the first time I saw it I was more seeing me um, and it was really interesting to watch it again uh, and see the story um, and so I, I was able to be a lot more moved by it once I sort of removed myself from it. Um, but I do remember watching the finale, the scene where um, Cole gives the same ring to Cassie. And I I think that's when it really hit me, like the culmination of the whole story, because it still felt like Hannah was part of that. And it really really I think because I wasn't in that scene and obviously I'd read it I'd read the finale and I knew what was going to happen but it just got me and when I watched it I was in my flat and one of my flatmates I think roommates we called him here um I didn't know she was home and I was crying like I was (laughs) wailing really really crying because I thought no one was home and she knocked on the door and I was like hi and then she came home she was like, you're okay? And I was like, sorry, I'm fine. I'm just watching 12 Monkeys. And she was like, aren't you in that show? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, and you're still crying like this? And I was like, it's so sad. And she was like, but didn't you know what was going to happen? And I was like, yeah, I just didn't make like, to get me like, <laughs> I had to like send a selfie to Amanda. I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. I'm so sad. I was crying. She was like, defense it is perhaps the saddest proposal in the history of the world <laughs> oh my god it's so sad 
Um, and that ring is a huge part of it, right? It's just yeah, yeah. that ring is constant disappointment <laughs> for yeah. both Matthew and Cole. And yeah. Oh. And just the ring, the fact that it's a ring. I mean, it, it, you know, obviously symbolically it means so much, but also the circle, it, it all just clipped in and I was a mess. Yeah. I, I will say just just uh, a piece of this because it, it occurred. It, it, it's sort of these random thoughts will occur to you at random times. I don't know if it, it if it hit me during post or uh, if it was something I had turned to Terry and said, or maybe Terry had said it to me. I'm not quite sure. But there's a refrigerator logic issue in this that now when I watch the scene, I can't help but think about, and it makes me laugh. Which is if you think about it, <laughs> the scene implies where Cole finds the letter implies that. Hannah went back to the very same hotel in which she had basically just murdered a guy and <laughs> hung, out, hung out in her old room for the rest of her live long day. And if Cole and Cassie had just thought to sweep the fucking Emerson in the future, they would have come across this note. <laughs> like if they were just like, we're going to check out every room, this thing, this whole would have been gangbusters. The show would have been over <laughs> year, days or weeks or months before for them. Yeah, but, uh, but it, hopefully at that point you're not thinking about any of that. But when do they have time to to do that though? Oh, they don't have time I to don't sweep know. the Emerson. No. Yeah, I mean the housekeeping <laughs> sucks. The tab can is still there from the 1970s. So clearly yeah. <laughs> there's going to get like a one star review on housekeeping. Right. <laughs> I'm just imagining an evening in the Emerson where like a drunk pole is like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna look at all these other. I'm gonna eavesdrop in some of these other rooms and comes across an envelope that's like, holy shit, she's my mom." <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I mean, Chris and Brooke, I think this is our last time talking to you all. Um, Terry's going to come back and do the finale. Well, that's very sad. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that I is until know. the re 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 rewatch podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. re- third time's the charm. I mean, we um, would pro- we would get more things right because I think we've we've sorted things out on the way. So yeah, maybe we can <laughs> get all these things right. But I just want to give Brooke if you had sort of any other closing thoughts on playing this character or being part of telling this story. Um, I just feel really lucky that I was able to, and like it's so cool and random to have been picked to be able to do this because I I was in LA testing for something else that I didn't get. And I was only here, I was only meant to be here for two days and I extended it a week and in that week was when I did the audition. So it was just completely crazy that I was here in LA from New Zealand and that that happened and then, you know, crazy to get a job but then also incredible that it was this job and getting to tell this story and experience creating this life of this really complex, um, beautiful person. And But I'm very, very grateful and... Um, yeah, it's something that's always going to be very special to me. And if I if I can just sort of second that back to you, Brooke, that it, it was an honor uh, to and a privilege to to write for you and have you say these words and 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 do these actions so magnificently and lovely and beautifully as you did. Um, I really deeply appreciate that. And then also to you guys, just for for since this is my last time on the on the podcast, um, just thank you for for doing this and thank you to the fans for for watching and listening and um it's something that's deeply meaningful and very special to have created something that resonates with people past that first viewing and um and i feel like as much as i've i've always felt like the actors and crew and 
you know, especially, you know, Terry, uh, who's just a, a dear, dear friend of mine, but everybody involved with 12 Monkeys is, is in some way uh, feels like family to me um, to know that there's also an, uh, an audience out there who is as devoted to this as we are and, and they feel like family as well. And so to, uh, to have you guys have taken the effort to do all this, I, I really appreciate it as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you guys for being so generous with your time and coming on and talking. And, you know, I think for the audience, this is an episode, you know, you all broke our hearts and then sort of put them back together. Um, and it's not a common viewing experience. Um, there's a reason why people say one minute more with sort of that reverence. Um, so thank you. Just as we close out, um, Terry and Chris, do you guys have any update for folks on on Picard or sort of <laughs> what the heck's happening well, we're, <laughs> in we're Hollywood? Like, we're, we are legally not allowed to say a single thing other than we're, uh, we continue to work on it and uh, we're, we're in the room uh, daily and, and working on it and we're really happy with what we're coming up with, but that's probably about all I can say. And even <laughs> that, I'm not sure. CBS might be like, you cannot say the word Picard. I don't know. It, it, it gets, but uh, yeah, no, we're we're working we're working away. It's a it's a strange time. We don't know when we would shoot again, but then no one in Hollywood has figured that out yet. It's just an extraordinary time. We're uh, gotta wait and see. We gotta wait and see. But I I, I sure hope chuckleheads like fucking michigan and uh huntington <laughs> beach i don't mind come at me fight me um you know get inside let's bring this yeah. curve down science is real you know yeah do you guys have anything as we close out since everyone's stuck at home that you have read or watched that you could recommend oh uh, if anyone likes reading plays i read a play a couple of weeks ago called little light by alice birch and it's exquisite it's just, it's glorious. So if you like reading plays, it's a good one to order. Yeah, that was Little Light? Little Light, yeah. Yeah, search. Cool. Well, I continue to, to sing the praises of Dispatches from Elsewhere, which I think is a really overlooked uh, and really beautiful and, and interesting, fascinating show uh, on AMC. And uh, I will I will say this just, and it's completely unrelated to genre at all, but I've really enjoyed um the the show Dave on FX, uh, the Little Dickies half hour comedy, um, I think really started off as a kind of uh, Louis curb your enthusiasm, um, kind of very uh, raunchy, funny few episodes, but it it pivots into these moments of like really genuine, lovely character work, and uh, it's so it's really funny and really crass and and really moving and really dramatic all at once, and it's. Uh, it's uh, that wrapped up this week and I, I love the finale and you know, also Netflix, I've reached the end of Netflix. So all of Netflix is great. <laughs> How about you, Terry? Uh, you know, for years, Chris has been trying to get me to watch uh, Peaky Blinders on um, <laughs> Netflix. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just always ended up for whatever reason at the bottom of the list. Uh, and so I just binged through five seasons of that and it's outstanding. Um, <laughs> And one of I've gone. I'm obsessed with it. I know more about 1920s razor gangs in Birmingham, England, than I ever should. Uh, now <laughs> I've gone deep dive. I mean, I've gone on the Reddit now. Like I'm into like theories and things. Um, it's a phenomenal show. Uh, you should all watch it. Might be a little hard for you, Tina. 
because I know that you know you like your shows where everybody hugs at the end of the episode. And <laughs> the camera, but... Right. That's why I did a podcast about this show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm watching The Crown, and there's not a lot of hugging going on. So. Oh, <laughs> You're, did you get to that episode yet? The school episode that I've been talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, was it so was good. with, with Prince Charles and, and Prince Philip and the wounds oh my the God, parents the inflict on their children. Yeah. It was rough. But it's also <laughs> about him and his sister too. Yeah. Like, like yeah. he never got over his sister. It, it's, I'm convinced that that show is, is, has more character depth than the, than the, than the real people it's portraying. It's, uh, have you did do you watch that, Chris? Oh my god, yeah. I mean I, I think that, the you know the episode I think that, the Smith that episode? episode, I think the and then in season three, I think the uh Aberforth uh coal mining episode and oh, the yeah. moon, oh, cool. moon landing episode are, are amazing pieces of mm. writing and just it, it manages to find these moments in history and then asks itself the question like emotionally, what is the counterpart? Not not just to what is going on in history, what's the emotional counterpart to what's going on in its characters? And it always finds, almost always finds the right relationship between the historical context and the inner emotional context. And and every piece, even though it's such a, it, it just feels so complete. It's so good. I love it. Have yeah. you seen it, bro? You've seen it, right? Yeah. We've talked about it. I love this. the time. Yeah. 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 There was, um, Brooke, the last time you were on, we were talking about sort of female characters on TV and um, the episode, Dear Mrs. Kennedy, I felt like took very, very familiar historical events and mm-hmm. framed it to be about women and what we compare ourselves to and the mm-hmm. way we're pitted against each other, but how we can also become complicit in that. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was really wonderful from that. Pers- and I did not expect to come out of an episode about, you know, the JFK assassination. We've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought mm-hmm. it was a really different take kind of digging into all of those things we sort of deal with as women. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really good. Internalized misogyny that's inherent in everything. And it's like direct from that culture to. Yeah, just yeah, watching. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, just watching Elizabeth II try to fit into a dress that she's wearing to impress another woman, and I was like, "Man, mm-hmm. that is such a moment we've all done." <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, guys, thank you so much. Um, I'm Brooke and Chris. We're we're sad to say goodbye, but we really appreciate the time that you spent with us. We know our listeners do as well. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, and Terry, you'll be back to break down, you know, TV's greatest series finale. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about The Shield. Oh, um, no. All right. All right, everybody. <laughs> Thank Stay you, guys. Stay safe. Thanks again. All right, guys. Bye. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys for listening. What an awesome treat. Thank you so much to Terry, Chris, and Brooke. It has been a pleasure. We have a special episode coming up next that will include Terry, as well as Drew Nichols, editor, and Stephen Barton, composer. It will be specifically about the music from the series. So look forward to that coming out. And as always, until next time, we'll see you soon.